Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning. My name is Daniel, just in case we have not met, and it's always a joy for me to bring you God's Word. To those who are watching on the screen, uh, look forward to seeing you next Sunday together. I think it's wonderful. Now, if you remember last Sunday, I spoke to all of us on the need for us to finish strong together. And, uh, I, and, I, and I mentioned that one of the reasons why I spoke about that is in, in the recent months, there has been events that basically revealed some moral failures you know, of uh, some high-profile leaders that we know about, some of my personal friends whom you may not know about, but who were leading amazing churches in the region. And, and that made me very conscious of the fact that, hey, I need all of us, I need you to help me finish well. And so I spoke to you, uh, uh, I spoke to you about the ministry of mutual exhortation. And the word exhortation simply means to encourage strongly. So we all have permission to encourage one another strongly. There's no need for uh, me to tell you to exhort me. If you see me discouraged, if you see me feeling low, come, come, come alongside me, encourage me strongly and say, Daniel, can I encourage you strongly, right? So we all have permission. And this, and uh, last night, you know, in the midst of all these sad stories, to me these are all sad stories because I really want to finish well. I was speaking with a friend from the US. The family moved to America maybe about 40 years uh, uh, 30 over years ago for the ministry. And, and um, the father was a very well-known Indian preacher in the U.S. And some of you have met him uh, before. Uh, this is Nikki Raibodi's dad. And he passed in October last year. And it was a mistake on the part of the healthcare system in the U.S. And so it wasn't because of a sickness. It was just a mistake. And of course, they're still recovering from it. Um, but what really moved me in my conversation with Nikki last night, uh, we haven't spoken for a year, but we Zoomed last night, and uh, he said to me, he, he, he said, just a day before his passing, uh, he called, uh, uh, called uh, Nikki into his room, and he asked uh, Nikki to pray for him, and of course he said things like, two men have come, and uh, I have to go with them. And so Nikki said, what are, you, what, are, what are you talking about? And he kept saying, two men have come, and I've got to go with them. But the whole time, time and time again, he reminded Nikki. He says, Nikki, the reason why God called us to America is because uh, of the gospel. He said, we must not forget the purpose of why we are in America. He said, we could have lived a, uh, a comfortable life in India, live in a big house. And by the way, they've been staying in, in, in a trailer home in the last 40 years uh, in the US. They have got many opportunities for them to buy a house. But he said, the reason why we're here is so that uh, we can advance the gospel in, in America. So all, all the way till the very end of, of his life. And when he passed the next day, Nikki said his WhatsApp crashed because he received 11,000 messages from around the world. And Nikki knew his father was influential, but he didn't know that the father was that influential you know, and was that impactful in the lives of all these people. So in, in, in the midst of all these uh, stories of, of people stumbling over their personal life and all that, I heard a story of someone who finished well. And I said, God, that's what I want. And 
I realized that I can't finish well alone. I need all of us, and you need me, I need you. No one is too powerful. If you, if you learn anything from the recent happenings, people who are highly intellectual, people who seem so powerful, and yet they stumble in their faith. And so how much more, Daniel Chua, how much more you and me, right, that, that are still fighting with our habits and trying to live you know, a godly life, we need one another. Somebody say, uh, uh, somebody say amen, yes? So, if, so last week I talked about the, that we all have a min- we all have a ministry to give exhortation and correction to one another. And of course, the obvious inference is that we must also receive exhortation. We must also receive correction from one another. And so this morning, I want to talk to us about the ones receiving. How do we receive? And it's interesting because what actually sparked uh, this message of was you know, an email I received from, from one of us. This, this was seven years ago, and this person wrote me a, a pretty strong email. It was one of the transitions in my life, and this person wrote me a strong email, and he said, Daniel, I used to enjoy your sermons, but in the last few months, it seems that, you know, I've, I've, and I used to be scribbling notes and things like that, but in the last few months of your preaching, I found myself receiving nothing from your sermon. <laughs> and I said, you know, and most of us don't like emails or conversations like that. But I'm, I was grateful. Of course, I struggled, but I was grateful for an email like that. No, that's on a more serious note of receiving a correction from one of us, right? And of course, on a, on a cuter note was when my daughter, who, who's 12 this year, but last year she said to me, the way you responded to uh, one, one of my sisters wasn't too, too good. And I said, what do you mean? He, he said, uh, she said, uh, you were a little bit harsh. And so I said, do you think so? And she said, yes. And so I went to the room, I apologized to the older sister, and I said, I'm so sorry. And I didn't know that I was reminded by your younger sister that my tone and my approach might not be the most appropriate. And, and you know, and, and no one enjoy embracing correction, but I think that's what we need. And so I, I, I want to read a passage of, of uh, Scripture. I'm trying to collect my thoughts. I've got some points, but let's read a few verses from the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 to chapter 4 and verse 2. All right, on the screen, if you have brought your Bible, you can turn to it and highlight these verses if these verses are not highlighted in your Bible. But let's read... Uh, these few verses. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof. Now, reproof, actually the English trans- the, the, Engl- the, the, the explanation from dictionary is criticism. Wow. For constructive criticism, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, and this doesn't refer just to preachers or to pastors, that, that the man, generic, all of us may be complete equipped for every good work. And now there is no chapter division in the original text. And so, so, the, so Paul went on to say, I charge you therefore in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. He says, be ready in season and out of season, Reproof, again, he said that, rebuke and exalt with complete patience and teaching. And teaching. Can I just pray before I uh, go on further? Father, we want to thank you for this passage. And Lord, our heart, Lord, wants to just respond, God, by saying that 
Lord, whatever that it requires for you to, to, to do to us and to speak to us, God, that, Lord, you will do it this morning. Give us a humble heart, Lord, to receive uh, from the Scripture, but also from, Lord, um, this time of sharing the Word together. We honor you and we love you in Jesus' name. I mean, I start with a question. Do we cringe at correction or embrace rebuke as a blessing? Do we cringe when someone comes to us and bring us a word of exhortation, strong encouragement, a word of criticism, as constructive as this person might uh, try to be? Do we cringe or do we embrace a rebuke as a blessing? Now, call it correction, reproof, or rebuke. In our text this morning, the Apostle Paul uses all three terms. So whatever you like, pick and choose. Paul used all three terms. But don't miss my point this morning. Don't miss this. The kind of rebuke that the Scriptures command is the kind intended to stop us from continuing on this destructive path. And we have the tendency, as I said, all oh, like sheep has gone astray, each of us turning our own separate way. So we have the tendency to stray. But don't miss the point. God in His Scriptures has empowered the apostle and all of us, and I'll go in uh, and I'll talk a, a bit more about that uh, later, to bring reproof, correction, and rebuke to one another so, he can, so we can avoid the destructive path. Listen, it is a great act of love. It is a gift of grace. It's one of the most loving things that anyone can do for me, can do for you, is to tell you that you're wrong. We don't like that, but it is one of the most loving things that the community can do for all of us. I, I think church has become a very sanitized, nice place. And I think that's great. We need to be encouraged. But in addition to that, I feel that you know, we have to recover this ministry of mutual exaltation, this, this ministry of correction that we are supposed to correct one another. So I want to just talk to us this morning about how we can receive correction, the five ways to receive correction from one another. When was the last time you heard a sermon like that? I mean, I, I've not for many, many years, even though I grew up in an environment where correction was common. And I remember my pastor coming to me as a young man and said, Daniel, uh, your hair's too long. Oh, no, oh, and I've sh said this to you, right? Uh, uh, you should tidy up your desk. I was a full-time staff then, and your desk doesn't reflect godliness. I said, what do you mean? And, and of course, my first response was always to read and say, it's just my desk. I'm a godly person. I try to live a godly life. You know, but you know, I'll, wrote, I'll write him a note and say, Pastor, thank you very much for that correction. And so let me share with all of us five ways to receive correction from one and, and, and another. And these five ways both address our mindset, but also our practical response to correction. So the first point I want to make to all of us is don't be surprised when correction happens. Don't be surprised when correction happens. Don't be surprised when a fellow believer attempts to correct you as if something strange is happening. It might seem strange culturally, especially in the 21st century, but biblically, from a, Bible, from a Bible point of view, it is not strange. In fact, God has called our fellow Christians to correct us. He has called our fellow Christians to bring a word of rebuke of correction. Therefore, we must not resist Oh, we must not protest along the lines of, who do you think you are? Why do you meddle with my affairs? Is, is, this, this is a private thing. and This is my private life. But, I don't, don't. 
Let's be absolutely clear this morning that our fellow Christians have been authorized, not by Daniel Chua, but by the Scripture, by heaven, and have the duty to correct us when we go astray or when we're misguided in particular areas of our lives. Wow. And both church leaders and church members have this responsibility. According to scripture that we read this morning, church leaders, Paul told Timothy to, re- to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort. Paul told Titus in a parallel uh, verse in Titus chapter 2, verse 15, to exhort and to rebuke with all authority. See, Paul's words challenged me. Now, we might say, but he was the Apostle Paul. No, he was just exemplifying true biblical leadership. And his posture, his intention, and, and this is what drives me every single day as you know, I lead or as I minister. And, and sometimes it may come across strong to people, but Paul's words challenged me. And he said in Galatians that he traveled until Christ is formed in his church. And I tell you, that is our mission. Pastors, leaders, life leaders, all of us, can we all travel? Can we all be in birth pain until Christ is forming all of us? That's our mission statement. That's what we're passionate about in this church, that we can become like Jesus. Christ be fully formed. And I pray that as I present myself to the Lord uh, on that day, that I'll be as fully formed as possible, that Jesus can see Jesus Christ, His own Son, in me. And that's our mission. That's what biblical leadership is all about, that Christ is fully formed in you, in me. Amen? This is true apostolic ministry. Not planting churches, that's great. That's part of the expression. Not just collecting more sons or calling yourself an apostle. But true biblical apostolic ministry that Christ be formed in His church, in all of us. And the ministry of the one who preaches the word, those who stand up here, those who present the word in the cell group. Listen, life leaders, if you are preaching the word, if you are presenting the word, you are not just a facilitator. You are a preacher of the gospel. You have been given the honor to steward the word of God in this book. And your responsibility, as the Bible tells us, is to reprove, to rebuke, and to exalt. And two out of those three words appear to have a negative connotation. To criticize someone according to Scripture, to prune their lifestyle, like what Bill Johnson said, using the Word of God, to rebuke in love, to speak the truth from a pure heart, and of course, to strongly encourage. I like what Craig Rochelle, how he put this, right? He says, we are to what? Comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And that is the ministry of the scripture. And I think for the longest time in in, in the last 20 years, preachers have been preaching nice sounding sermons, tickle our ears, make us feel happy, make us laugh. What is popular in the US are, you know, Pastors who wear cool outfit and, and telling funny stories. They learn from comedians. They go, for, they go for classes and they want to make the people happy. And I think that's fine if you are great communicator. But do not forget that the biblical preaching involves reproof, correction. I grew up like that. Those of us who, you know, who came out to plant this church, we grew up like that where the sermons challenge us every Sunday. Oh, and, and people are called to a higher level of living and to a high standard of, of Christian life to become like Jesus. And of course, you know, we swing and we say that's too legalistic. 
And sometimes it is. Yet, we always swing to the other extreme. Come on, can we just swing the pendulum a little, a little bit? And let's come back to the fact that biblical preaching calls people to live a holy life. Because the Bible says we are to be holy as God is holy. Amen? We must call people to holiness. Call people to living a righteous lifestyle. That's what the ministry of the Word is all about. Come on. However, it's also important for us to note that Although church leaders bear that responsibility, all Christians share the same responsibility. All. For example, Matthew 18 verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. No gray areas. Brothers, in uh, Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says we are to admonish the idol. The calling upon the church leaders and church members, all of us, is to pull in the same direction, to exalt, to rebuke, to confront, to admonish, to restore, to bring back. Therefore, don't be surprised when you're on the receiving end of their faithfulness. They're just being faithful to God's Word. Preachers are just being faithful to their calling to handle the Word of God in a truthful manner. When you're receiving end of their weighty words, when you're on the receiving end of being called out, don't be surprised. When you do receive correction, be thankful that the scripture is being lived out right before your eyes. That someone's come to you with a word in season to help you grow in your walk with God. Amen. That's number one. Don't be surprised, it's uncomfortable. No one likes to be corrected, even at this age. But we all need it. Turn to the person next to you and say, you need it. You need it. That's my second point. Realize that we all need correction. Often. Believe with all your heart that you're often in need of correction. Is there anyone among us this morning who can stand here and say things like my brothers and sisters? There's no need for me to receive any correction. I've entered into a state of moral perfection. In 2020, in the month of June, I'm fully sanctified now and that there's no need for anyone to correct me. I mean, if you say things like that, you are in need of serious correction. <laughs> because there's an undeniable call, my friends, upon us to press on and to grow. Paul said, Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, press on toward the goal. And that is the Apostle Paul even saying that not that I have attained, but yet I strive. And that's after him seeing Jesus and on the road to, uh, on, uh, the road to, to Damascus. And that's him having been to the third heavens. He says, I have not attained yet. I'm still pressing on that I might attain you know, towards the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 13, verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh. See, we are all on a journey. We are all being perfected. I'm not yet all that I ought to be. I'm, I'm still far away from becoming the man God has intended for me to be, the husband God has one intended for me to be, the, the son God has intended for me to be, the, the brother or, 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 or the father, a friend, a church member. A pastor, I, I, I fall short. I've let many of you down before. I, I've let myself down before. I've, I, I've hurt my wife. I, I've let my children down before. I'm not perfect. And it's prideful for me, for me to justify my actions. I just have to say, God, 
Speak to me. Prune me with your word. Send people into my life to correct me. See, every believer has an ongoing need for exaltation and for correction because we are still wrestling with ungodly habits and therefore far from perfection. Yet at the same time, God is actively working within us to form Christ in us, to transform us into the likeness of His Son, Jesus. And friends, listen, this is not a moral self-improvement program. We are not here to put you through a self-improvement program. This is the work of sanctification. God is transforming us by His Spirit through one another so that we can all become like Jesus Christ. And that is His goal. Jesus came, the Bible says, to present many sons and to lead many sons into glory. And that is His goal. He has come to reproduce Himself in us. And that's what brings His Father and our Father the greatest pleasure. The greatest pleasure. And sometimes we think that we have got the truth and we have got the absolute truth. And I thought so too. I remember a story and I've been recounting this uh, many, many, many times in the last one month. My most transformational moment in ministry was in the early days of our church and we had this speaker from New Zealand and uh, he, he's the sonship guy, so he talks about the father heart message and, and I thought I've heard that before. I know, I know that there are many instructors, there are very few fathers and so I say, okay, I heard that. And typically as a young pastor, he walked in, I was leading prayer and I was trying to impress the preacher. All right, like most of us would, right? So I tried to impress the preacher. And so he walked in, I closed the time of prayer. I walked out to James uh, Jordan and I said, James, my whole life, I, I, want to be, I, I want to be a father. Sounds correct, right? Sounds, if you hear something like that from me, you would say, well, Daniel, very good. I, I want to be a father. And so James Jordan turned to me in this typical fashion and this, these words are verbatim. He said, my young brother. He says, Jesus has never tried to be the father. He said, all he did was to become... Uh, the son as he should be and in becoming like the son he revealed the father I said wow <laughs> and he said his own spiritual dad Jack Winter has never tried to be their father he said all he did was to become the best son as he could be and, be and in becoming the son he became our father I said oh my goodness I was pastoring for 15 years up to that point and I said what have I missed in his own gentle way, I felt corrected. And I said, my, my goalpost was absolutely wrong. I was going around trying to collect sons because I, I, I thought to be a father means I've got a, a lot of sons, right? Sons in Indonesia, sons in the Philippines. I've got many sons. I want to be, and I want to be a good father. So I'll be saying, how are you guys doing? And I'm caring, so I'm not a controlling father. But I realized my goalpost was wrong. I felt reproof. I was corrected. He didn't say, well, good job, Daniel. He says, my young brother. <laughs> and I tell you, that day changed my entire life, changed the entire fabric of how I do church, of how I see church. So I welcome that as an admonition, as a gift from God. Amen. We need correction, not just in the lifestyle, but also in your belief system, also in what you are striving to become. And all these adjustments are beneficial for us. Somebody say, Amen, Amen. Third point, receive the correction with humility and grow from it. And grow from it. See, the Bible tells us that the ability to receive correction is a distinctive mark of true wisdom. Right? The question is, do you have the ability to receive correction? Now, listen, the difference between a wise person and a fool 
It's not that the wise person does not receive correction and the fool receives correction. You heard what I just said? The difference between a wise person and a foolish one is not that the foolish person needs correction and a wise person does not need correction. That is not the difference. Of course, over time, as you grow in wisdom, you, you need less and less correction. But that is not the distinguishing mark between wise person, wisdom, and foolishness, a foolish person. The distinguishing mark is this. Here is the difference. The wise person has the ability to humbly receive correction, whereas the fool doesn't have this ability. According to the scripture, the fool foolishly thinks that he is wise in, in his own eyes and therefore thinks that he is beyond the need for correction. That's in the Bible, Proverbs chapter 12, 15, chapter 26, verse 12. The wise person, on the other hand, knows better, knows how much folly remains in his own heart and is eager to learn and grow from it, grow out of it. So there are a lot of Proverbs. If you just go back and read the book of Proverbs, I'll just give you a quick cursory glance of the book of Proverbs. But there are a lot of proverbial warnings against dismissing brotherly corrections. Staggering the number of verses. This is just a selection. All right. It says in Proverbs 10, 17, the one who rejects reproof leads others astray. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1 says that that person is stupid from the Bible. Huh? Proverbs 15, verse 5, is a fool. Proverbs 15, verse 32, despises himself. This is the person who dismisses brotherly correction. Proverbs 15, verse 10 says, whoever hates reproof will die. And poverty and disgrace come to him. Oh my goodness. This is just a selection from the book of Proverbs. Those who despise correction, all the bad things. But just as astounding, my friends, are the promises of blessings to those who embrace rebuke. For example, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 18 says, Whoever heeds reproof is honored. 15, verse 5 says, is prudent, is wise. 15, and uh, verse uh, 32 says, He who listens, who listens to reproof gains intelligence loves knowledge, will dwell among the wise. 15 verse 31. And it's on the path of life. Proverbs 10 verse 17. One of, one of the most beautiful verses, Proverbs 1 verse 23. To those who embrace uh, a rebuke or correction, God says, I will pour out my spirit on you. My goodness, you want a fresh and of the Holy Spirit? Be open to reproof. Say, God, correct me. And He will pour out His Spirit on us. But to the one who despises it in the same chapter, I will laugh at your calamity. Wow. It is said of those who reject correction, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. It's only a matter of time that you experience, the Bible says, utter ruin. So what about you? What about me? Do you receive commandments? Do you receive correction, instruction? Do you welcome advice and counsel or do you reject reproof? Example from the Bible, Moses was open to being corrected by his father-in-law Jethro when he was trying to do everything. Jethro came to him and said, you need to delegate. That's the Bible lesson of delegation. Otherwise, you will burn out. Of course, Moses, listen, David received correction from prof the prophet Nathan confronted him of his sins against Bathsheba and Uriah. He turned from his wicked ways. The great preacher Apollos received correction from Priscilla and Aquila, right? Took him aside, explained to Apollos the ways of God more accurately. 
the Apostle Peter who was confronted by Paul for his hypocrisy. I mean, these are all greats in the Bible who receive correction. On the other hand, Cain. When God confronted Cain, Cain refused. And he turned from bad to worse and finally was exiled. But the most telling story is King Asa in the Bible. King Asa started well. He lived most of his life as a godly man, but he did not receive correction. Later in his life, when the prophet Hanani confronted him over the sin of him relying on, on the kings of Syria. He refused. He, he, he rejected the counsel. And the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 16 verse 10 that, that uh, he inflicted cruelties upon some of the people and in the end, he became diseased in his feet and instead of seeking uh, help from God, he turned to physicians and he did not finish well. That is a good story. A reminder to all of us that you can live a great life but still finish poorly. And I'm not referring to salvation. All right? So this is not a discussion of whether you are saved or not saved. This is a discussion of us entering, into, uh, entering through the pearly gates of heaven and God saying to us, Well done, Jonathan. Well done, good and faithful servant. I think life is more than just, am I safe, am I not safe? Come on, that is like basic, right? Life should be more than that. Life should be us saying, hearing from God, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You look just like my son, Jesus. That's a great job, my, my boy. It's a bit like, you know, young sage. Life is more than just, I'm born, yay, I'm born. But life is looking at the parents' eyes and, 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 seeing, the, and seeing the smile from the parents' face. Life is, is him, her, she learning how to walk. and how. I mean, that's what brings the parents great pleasure. How much more God, amen? I, I want to please my heavenly daddy, my heavenly father. I want to make him proud of the things I say, the things I think, the things I do, the, the, my posture, my heart, my, my, my imagination, my thinking. Uh, he knows all things. He's not surprised by them, but I want him to, to see beyond my acts and be proud. I'll land by saying this. Well, what about if someone comes to you and the correction doesn't make sense? It might be a miscorrection. And now that's a true test of humility, right? Because it reminds me of many times, you know, when people come to me and, and their observation of my behavior, of my thinking was completely off. Now that is when I've got to make a decision. Am I wise in my own eyes or do I take it back to God and say, there's no smoke without fire? God, is there any truth in what they said? Is there adjustments I need to make? And can I have a bet on stage as I land this plane? <laughs> and I just want to quickly give you four quick points. Right? Number one, honor their obedience. They are simply obeying Scripture by going to you and, 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 and trying in their, in their limited ways to, to help us grow in their faith. Honor their obedience. Don't despise the fact that they're attempting to correct you. Appreciate their concern. Thank them. Number two, weigh their words. Go back home. Take what they said and present it to the Lord and say, God, is there any truth? Don't just at first glance disagree with them, right? 
pray, wait that word, seek counsel from, from other people, look for confirmation and talk to your friends and say, you know, so and so, or someone said this to me, what do you think? Do you think that is true? Number three, exercise your love muscles. If they're truly wrong, you have got the opportunity for you to love them in spite of what they say to you and say thank you very much. Alright, and of course, put the friendship or the relationship first. You now have the opportunity for uh, you to receive love from that person, for you to show love back to that person. Amen. As the musician plays softly, my final point, number five, is receive correction as a gift from God. Amen. It's a gift. In all these things, the most important thing is to keep your eyes on God. Hear God's voice in your brother's or your sister's voice. When someone speaks to you, whether technically it's right or wrong, you might have a reason why what they say to you might not be the whole truth. But receive any attempt, correction as a gift from God. Hear God's voice in your brother's voice and ask yourself, what is He doing in your life? What is God saying to you? Are there changes that you need to make? So as I conclude, I, I, I pray for our church. I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we no longer view correction as an assault on our very foundations and deep sense of worth. It is not about who you are. It's, it's not about that. But we can grow skin thick enough to hear any reproof as a pathway for growth and inner joy. I want to repeat the last phrase. We can grow skin thick enough to hear any reproof as a pathway for growth and greater joy. You know, as a young man, as a, as a young, zealous leader growing up in my previous church, you know, almost every other month, my pastor would come to me and you know, he would say different things. And of course, it was very hard for me to, uh, to receive, right? And especially some of those words were pretty strong and I felt that was completely unjustified. For example, you know, there was one day he sat me down and he, and he said, Dan, he said, you remind me of so-and-so. And this so-and-so then was pastoring a pretty powerful, sizable church you know, but my pastor always felt that there were some areas in, in his life that weren't, that weren't aligned, right? So you remember so-and-so, your ambition, your, your, your big thinking, and he says, just be careful of pride. I mean, when he says that, I say, Pastor, are you saying I'm proud? I'm just trying to serve God. I'm just trying to... I missed the point. His intention wasn't saying that I was proud. His intention was just, don't stumble and don't... I want you to finish well. On hindsight, I, I heard all that. But my pride stopped me from receiving what he said. And as I was preparing for this message, my mind just went back to my formative years and I missed that. I, 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 and I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the person who wrote me the email saying, Daniel, I, you know, your sermons no longer spoke to me. I'm thankful. I said, thank you so much. As I read that, I don't know how it came to me. I was trying to look for it, you know, because I, I was really trying to like, read the email, but I couldn't find it. But somehow, that email popped up you know, on my screen that day and I said, wow, whoever wrote that, thank you. Because on hindsight, you are right. I, I wasn't pouring my heart into my sermon. I was busy with different things and I'm thankful. As we go into a new season from month of April and you know, the leaders have met and I'm super excited about where Andre is leading our church towards amazing. I just want to say in my last two sermons, num number one, all of us have the ministry of mutual exhortation. Alright, so don't just think that it is the leader's job to encourage you in your faith. All of us. Alright, if you see a brother and some of, some of you have got a lot more visibility 
you know, on what's happening on the ground than the pastors. They, they are doing so many things, trying to set the space up, trying to make sure that you are, you are a lot more visible. Don't say, what's Andre doing about it? I mean, I wish Andre is ever-present, everywhere, all-powerful, but I realize he's not God. <laughs> and he needs all of us, all right, to see if someone is, is, is wavering in the faith. If you see it, why don't you do it? Say, hey, can I have a chat with, with you? Are you doing fine? Can I pray for you? And not say, the church is doing nothing about this. Come on! That's not how we are wired. We are a community. We, are, we have the ministry of mutual exaltation, number one. Number two is all of us have got the ministry of mutual correction. We can bring alignment. And even if in our feeble attempt, we, are, we don't fully represent, all right? But I want to set the record by saying that be humble enough to thank that, that person for trying to help us grow in our faith. Amen. And imagine this kind of church. Oh, it will be awesome. Say awesome. Come on, give God a praise offering where you are. Come on. And just let me, just let, just let me pray. So Father, we thank you for the last five weeks of us resuming our physical gathering. And uh, Lord, we didn't know what to expect. But God, I just want to say from my, from my point of view, God, that I've totally enjoyed the, the last five weeks. And God, I thank you for the gathering together of the believers, God, and how, and how much I've missed that and how much that has been so beneficial for my faith. Father, I'm grateful for the body of Christ, Lord, for the family that I'm a part of, but also for the bigger body, God, that all of us belong to something way bigger than ourselves. And Lord, you said you are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So in every form or fashion, Father, we say yes, Lord, to this ever-growing kingdom that we're a part of, to this ever-growing entity, God, that we can be part of building, starting from here, from our little community. So Father, we pray, Use us, God, to make a difference in your world. We say, yes, we are ready. In Jesus' name, and everyone say, amen. Give God a praise offering. Come on.